back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of Sports Analytics Live every Wednesday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern. Cade Massey hosting this morning with the whole crew, Adi, Eric, and Shane. If you want Adi, better catch him because he's got class to teach. The man's got a job. What do you expect him to do? Yeah, this ain't a job, right? Nah. <laughs> you can jump in here. We wish you would. Number is one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seventy eight sixty six. You can email us, businessradio at sirusxm.com, businessradio at SiriusXM.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter at WMoneyBall is our handle at WMoneyBall. Great way to catch us, catch up with us, give us comments, whatever you got. At WMoneyBall on Twitter is a great way to reach us. Speaking of Twitter, one of the great football follows out there at Frisco Josh. If you're on the Twitter sphere, you probably know at Frisco Josh. Josh Hermsmeyer burst onto the national scene last year in his debut season with 538, but he's been poking around for a little while. Friend of the show, repeat guest, Josh, good morning to you. Gabe, crew, how you guys doing? What what a what a morning so far! My goodness, <laughs> it's been fun. It's early for you, man. How could you have a morning? If it was five thirty at my house, I'd been up about six minutes, maybe. <laughs> well, I had to get up with that Zeke news. It was bracing. Ah, uh, well, you're like number one Zeke hater in the world. I mean, are are the are the major television shows calling you for comment now that he's signed a contract? I wouldn't call myself a hater, but goodness, know. No, that, that, that's quite a... It's that's a little strong. It's, it's, a little it's strong. Uh, your hater on the residual scale, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair, that's yeah. fair. Well, look, you, you, uh, we, we have a lot to talk about with you. We might as well dive into that. We spent some time in the first quarter talking about that Zeke contract. You have been active in this conversation in football analytics about the role of running backs, period. Um in, in multiple ways that are they overused shouldn't teams be passing more if they are going to run them do they need a top draft pick to be the running back so therefore maybe they're overpaying these top guys now you guys are even challenging running backs in the in the receiving game in the passing game so you got to have strong opinions on them dropping 50 million guaranteed to ZKL. i'm guessing so what what how has your morning gone Oh, well, I thought it was interesting. I was watching the line movement uh, as it as it went down over time on uh, Vegas Insider, and you know, not a not a ton of movement as expected. It's it's one of those things where uh, running backs just don't seem to move the needle in terms of forecasting projected performance, and, and I think that's kind of the crux of the argument. And uh, um, you know, I, I I look, I feel I feel really good for Zeke. I mean, good for him on a personal level, I guess. I mean, I don't know him personally, so it's kind of hard to you know, turn that into some kind of uh, thing you could put your hands around. But um, in terms of team building and asset allocation, it just seems like a like a strange way to go about things. And, and, and it also kind of puts paid to the idea that the NFL as a whole has really embraced analytics to the degree that maybe people have been talking about coming into the season. Right. You know, it's interesting you say that. I, I was listening to Kevin Clark's podcast on The Ringer maybe last week or two weeks ago. He and his partner had just finished their preseason tours where they went around and talked to all kinds of teams and they were talking about themes of the summer things that jumped out to them and one of the main themes for them the number one thing they talked about was it's just not that analytics savvy out there it's just not that as analytics forward as you would think and it's possible that we analytics folks sit around talking to each other about this stuff and the the crowd is getting bigger and bigger and we get convinced that it's making more progress than it actually is in the 32 buildings around the league yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that, uh, you know, I think there are some teams who have, you know, what I would call an evidentiary pipeline where they actually take all the different inputs and weigh them and try and figure out the best move. Uh, but I think most, uh, you know, do it the way they've always done it and kind of, um, you know, you have your analytics department over there in the corner and 
and maybe they'll put out something that confirms your priors and you'll use it and say your analytics, but uh, seldom will you actually uh, use evidence to that goes contrary to your the internal opinions within the building and, and change the way you're doing things. Well, Josh, you've, you've been mustering evidence. That's one of the things you do. You write for 538, but you also do it based on data. So you kick out really interesting stuff periodically, and you shot a you shot a graph out yesterday on your account again. We're talking to Josh Hermsmeyer at Frisco Josh is his his account there on Twitter. You you look at this stat. It's like this thing we this cool thing we have about running backs now. So avoided tackles. So it's a neat mm. it's a neat it's a neat idea, right? Because it's not just it's more than yards. It's like who are these guys who are who are making you know more of their of the uh, they're making more than they're given essentially because they're avoiding tackles. And Zeke is a is a is one of the leaders on this thing. He he's he avoids a lot of tackles relative to other running backs. And then you point out, well, it depends on how many opportunities they get. And your argument is essentially the best predictor of the number of avoided tackles someone gets is the number of opportunities they get. You're talking about rushing and receiving opportunities. And when you do that, you get this kind of expectation. You know, for example, you know, if you get three times more opportunities, you should get something like twice as many avoided tackles. This is the line you've drawn. Once you've got that expectation, you can look at which players do better or worse than expectation than expected. And you've got some guys up above who do better than expected. Given the number of opportunities for avoided tackles, they get even more. And they're kind of who you would expect. Dalvin Cook, who was hurt in his first year, but is an exciting player. Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, Melvin Gordon, Adrian Peterson, Saquon Barkley. These are kind of validating the analysis. And then you look below the line, guys who aren't doing as well relative to the opportunities. And Zeke is one of the biggest residuals on the downside. I think this is pretty compelling on the argument that Zeke is not as special as one might think. And do you, uh, in, in this kind of analysis, did you notice, I mean, I'm just kind of eyeballing it. I don't see a specific kind of uh, delineation, but did you notice anything between run, uh, differences between running backs that are kind of primarily uh, targeted in the passing game versus running backs that are kind of more conventionally targeted on the first and second downs? Yeah, when I looked at that and kind of split it up between evaded tackles, so those where you didn't break it, but you just made a guy miss by your moves and juking him, and then kind of sliced it out between that and actual broken tackles where you use your, your strength and physicality to uh, keep on moving upfield. Um, all I found was in terms of future predictiveness was that you're kind of slicing the sample into smaller and smaller pieces and, and you're not really getting too much more predictive power. So I don't really, I don't really have a take on which one is better. I lump them all together. And, uh, and it's actually one of the few things that we can call a running back skill that we can say he owns uh, to a degree uh, that uh, – Interesting. Uh, different from the line or different right. from the scheme, and, and I think it makes a lot of sense. It's just regular old football. You got you got a eleven on eleven. The quarterback is a guy that isn't you typically doing anything. So you got one guy left on defense, and that guy is the running back's problem. He he, he has been assigned to the running back. So right. on, almost, on almost every running play, he's either got to make that guy miss or he gets tackled. So the idea that you would break more tackles would make you more make you more valuable to a team uh, makes a lot of intuitive sense just in terms of football and uh, and and you see those guys at the top of the line the chubs the hunts and the cooks they were all really good at breaking tackles yep. in college so that so that ah, so trait, that trait, that skill transferred right over that that's good you said this one thing i want to emphasize cuz i i don't know how much you've written about this but i've heard you say it i've i've read you say it on on twitter that every running back every running play should begin with a description of the of the blocking like basically let's let's just start as we describe or as we credit a running play with the blocking as opposed to look at this guy what he did with it because we just focus so much on the guy with the ball and you're basically saying look most of what happens on a running play is determined by how well the the play is blocked absolutely absolutely i mean and and uh and 
also part of that is the fragility of that type of analysis and that type of play and that one weak link in that chain and it's also true to a certain extent for pass blocking but especially true for run blocking every single guy needs to do their job up front otherwise you have a blown up play and it's not you know you're getting zero yards or slight negative yards and and so uh, that chain, that dance of the hog mollies is really something that uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's, difficult, it's difficult to do with any consistency against yep. NFL defense. Yep. So, Josh, this is Eric Bradlow. Is there any um, – I've been – I was reading articles over the last few weeks, obviously, while Zeke was holding out, where they were comparing, like, the QBR of Dak Prescott with and without Zeke Elliott on the field. Do you put any – credence or any value in that type of analysis to attribute some of the well now the receivers are getting less defenders less people in the box do you put any weight on that and how would you attribute that to Zeke if at all I do put some weight on it simply because NFL players say they pay more attention when Zeke is in the game so that's your prior but then when we go in and we actually try and figure out can we tease out a signal there is there anything there that we can actually put our hands around We've looked at things like play action performance with and without, uh, you know, key starting running backs, top running backs, and and we just basically found nothing. And so it's, I, I'm deeply skeptical that a, that a defense that's been trained their entire life to attack a gap when they see their cues are hit for running plays, um, they see a line move a certain way, they see a mesh point look a certain way. I, I feel like. You know, they've been trained to do that. They're going to take those steps. They're going to take those steps towards the line of scrimmage. They're going to get fooled. Um, uh, and I'm speaking specifically of play action. In other parts of the game, it's just a little more nebulous. I think with tracking data that we may be able to kind of uh, ask better questions of the data and, and maybe come up with some better answers. So I'm holding out uh, in terms of whether I make a, a concrete conclusion about the effect of running backs on the passing game, but it certainly doesn't appear. I just, I just want to say I love that answer because I'd love to see tracking data to say, are receivers more open? Are there more blown coverages? That type of motion data. I love your answer there about maybe we'll be able to ask more sophisticated questions than just, is it better or worse? And hopefully it'll kind of, for, for those of us who can't just sit there and watch the tape with the coach when we want to analyze the data, to get you know some kind of automated way of, 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 of building scheme into an analysis, which we all agree is a really important part of this story. That would be really nice. So, Josh, where does the data on broken tackles and, and evaded tackles come from, particularly at the professional and the college level? Is that something that, 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 that gets reported? And is it in, It's not in a box score. I mean, it's, it, how do you get it? Well, it's interesting. You know, uh, um, I was having a discussion about this yesterday on, on Twitter, and, and, and it's charted, just like almost everything else in football. Uh, you know, yards are charted. The, line, uh, the Where the line of scrimmage is is basically an approximation. Someone did a uh, an analysis of spotting the ball um, using the tracking data. Yeah, that was Jake and... Flancer. It's one of my students who did oh, that yesterday. Man, he, did a, he did a fantastic job with that. I hadn't seen it before, and he tweeted it at me, and it was wonderful. It's a normal distribution, so 70% or so of the spots are within a yard of the actual line that the, uh, that the ball, um, uh, as far as the ball matriculated downfield, according to the tracking data. But there are some, some, some outliers there. I mean, there's some times where ball spotted three yards plus or minus mm-hmm. where the ball actually ended up. That's interesting stuff. So I, I guess the point is, is that everything's charted. Everything's kind of um, uh, subjective in a way. And so, What's really what really matters is whether or not your rubric is consistent across time and across players, and if it is, you can tease out some signal there. So I, I do believe in uh, missed tackles, even if uh, the subjectivity inherent in whether or not a guy made a guy miss with a certain juke 
um, is still there. We're talking to Josh Hermsmeyer. Josh is a longtime football analyst. He writes for 538, debuted last year, regular column for 530. You can follow him on Twitter at Frisco Josh. Josh, you've been in this conversation more generally about running backs and and the fact that teams the claim that teams overrush. And I'd like to hear a little bit more of your position on this. And I'd like for us all to have a little conversation about how do we establish such a thing when it's really hard to to understand the counterfactual. It's by really hard I mean impossible. So let's yeah. let's let's understand <laughs> like how could we get how could we sink our teeth into this? What has been done? What do you feel sure about? What are you less sure about? What is your claim? Okay, so I think at, at the top line is that we need to figure this out empirically. We need a team or a number of teams to actually pass the ball at a very, very high clip. Um, I, I, I kind randomly of selected. Yeah, ran, ran, run experiments, <laughs> damn it. Come on, help us out. No, there, there, is, there is a selection bias, no doubt. But, but I still think that you could, if you were to say that, look, this is a bad team. We all knew it was a bad team. We already that was our prior they were still more effective passing when they passed 80% of the time. I mean, that would be compelling evidence. Um, so I'm kind of rooting for these teams that are, that are perhaps tanking. Well, for sure tanking like Miami um, to actually kind of experiment in that way. And so that we could at least have one data point of a team um, that is going to perhaps pass more than we've seen an NFL team pass in the past. But, so, but Josh, uh, however, hold on, hold on a sec. Just let's start. Let's start with some some observations and some claims because the the rough way this analysis goes, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do some damage here. But the rough way is, look, in these circumstances, when they pass, they do better on uh, per per you know on average per attempt than when they run. Therefore, they mm-hmm. should pass more. That's like a very rough, crude version of it. And we we got to do better than that to really make the argument. So I'm, I know that some of you have done better than that. But but taken to the limit it would suggest why not pass all the time? Like, why, what, why not pass 100% of the time? And as soon as you go, well, then of course you got to do X. All those Xs are the considerations in the other columns. Like, that's why teams rush maybe more than seems like they should. So can, can you just walk us through why you're so confident that they are not rushing enough right now? Well, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, that I'm sorry, Again. you're so confident that they're rushing too much. Yeah, they are currently rushing too much because of what you said. Um, and, and also because what we've seen in other sports like basketball, when there was a kind of pushback against the three-point play, even though uh, its expected value was much higher than a mid-range shot, um, you know, there was, this, there was this pushback internally, and they were saying, well, you know, the, the mid-range shots go through the hoop more often. It's kind of the argument with rushing. Well, the, the distribution of outcomes is a little more narrow. It's, they can be more confident what kind of yardage we'll pick up on a rushing play. Uh, lower variance, and so I think that there's a uh, within football there's there's a there's a mentality there where they're a little risk averse, and it's also a lot to do with the quarterback, as you guys mentioned at the top. So if you don't have a good quarterback, it, it often makes a lot of sense to uh, to go ahead and uh, and hand the ball off. It's a lot safer play. Um, one other thing that I was told by the folks at Pro Football Focus when they were interviewing coaches about perhaps why running is is, is happens as much as we. Uh, as we see, is that sometimes play callers and and uh, passers need a break. So there's a lot of mental. It's mentally taxing to drop back and read a defense play after play after play. Really. And so what they'll do is they'll just take it down off and uh, turn around and hand it off. <laughs> so, Josh, this is Eric Bradley. Let me ask you a question. Have people looked, instead of expected yards per play, I'm sure they've done this, just about win probabilities? Because, for example, if it's third and inches 
And as you talked about lower variance, my guess is a running play may not yield the expected greatest expected number of yards, but it might get you a first down, which might actually increase the win probability because you have a greater chance of getting a first down. Have people scored running plays just in terms of win probability as opposed to expected number of yards, or maybe that's what they're doing now? And actually, just to kind of follow up on that, kind of like looking at wins instead of kind of per play expected yards, Another kind of argument for the running game is that it kills clock. It, it you know you 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 reduce the number of possessions by your opponent, etc. So like the, there's kind of these macro level factors for running that would not be kind of fa- would not kind of show up on a per play show basis. up on a per play basis. Yeah. By the way, Josh, yeah. we're not we're not haters, and we're we're yeah. just we're just pushing the empirical no, argument. We're trying I just to understand want to know what's known. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're we're playing kind of classic academics here. It's like okay, you know, maybe we like the argument, maybe we believe you, but we don't. We don't. It's not. It's not. It's not demonstrated yet because the empirics are so difficult. Yeah. No. No. I, and I agree with with all those points. It, it does turn out though that expected points and win probability added uh, are basically the same for almost the entire game. It isn't until late in the fourth quarter they diverge, and that's when you really need to do the analysis you all are suggesting, which is let's look at win probability of a play, the amount of time is taken off the clock. Um, the value of getting a new set of downs is much, much higher as the clock is ticking down, especially if you have a lead, um, than it is early on in the game. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, in terms of expected points or expected value of a play, um, they really, they are, they are, they are, they are equal. Uh, but I, th- I think the distinction and, was more, I'm sorry, I think the distinction was more expected yards versus expected probability or expected points. Because we would expect expect we would expect that expected points and expect and and win probability would travel much more closely. But a lot of the stats we see on these run pass comparisons are average yards per attempt. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I guess uh, I guess I was referring to EPA, but um, yeah, no. Again, I mean, I, I understand why you may want to, as a coach or play caller, or, or as even as a team, uh, want, want want to take the lower variance outcome. You know. Once in a while, I think it's this idea that's akin to bluffing in poker. You want to keep your opponent honest. You want to make sure that they have to respect the run. The idea, I think, that the folks in the analytics community, myself included, are pushing back on is that you need to do to run 50% of the time for that yeah. to be the case. Yep, yep, yep. You know, I do wonder how much of it's just, just that predictability issue. You know, if it, it, I, I, has anybody run the – do we evaluate teams on their predictability? You know, given the same circumstance, they have – they have tendencies. Some teams have stronger tendencies than others. And can we say, could we relate the strength of their tendency to their performance in some way? Yeah, I looked at first and second down against stacked boxes. Uh, second down would be uh, second down to long. First and second down against stacked boxes and neutral boxes. So seven men in the box or more. So this is basically dictated by the formation of the offense. They come out heavy. They come out with two tight ends, two running backs. They come out with a tight formation, whatever it might be. Yep. It looks condensed in the middle of the field so now you have seven to eight maybe perhaps nine men in the box this is a classic we're stopping the run on defense and we're running on offense yeah yeah in the nfl there's hardly any audibling that goes on at that point um over around 70 percent of the time the team just goes ahead and runs it um and when in fact the the ability there to, to deceive the defense and be and be especially efficient on offense passing the ball downfield is uh, is absolutely clear in the numbers and so i think i think this idea of deception is really the core of this argument about run pass in the mix uh-huh. and, and and for me it's it's more about 
how, how often can you deceive the defense into doing the wrong thing? And, mm-hmm. and I think that goes to why we see play action being so effective mm-hmm. as a play and, call. And we probably see pretty big differences in teams and their and their ability, to, or even their willingness to even try to, to do those kinds of things. Josh, we're down to just a couple of minutes. We want to get your thoughts on some quarterbacks around the league. You've had some pieces up on 538 recently, especially with the Colts' big change in the last week. What is your position on how they're going to do with their with their new quarterback now that Luck has retired? I'm I'm a little uh, bearish on, on on their uh, on their chances. I mean, certainly uh, Andrew Luck wasn't a metric darling in terms of his uh, performances on the field. He was about league average in completion perspective, uh, percentage over expected. His QBR was always a little lower than what you might expect. He wasn't very mobile. Um, so it's not it's not the case that this is going to be the biggest drop off we'd ever see. Uh, in terms of expected performance for the team. But Jacoby Brissett is, um, I, I don't think he's the long-term answer. Obviously, the Colts seem uh, a little more confident in his skills than uh, than I do. They gave him a two-year extension. Um, and uh, I guess for me, my, my take was that I, I might use this as an opportunity to go ahead and try and get a higher draft pick because a guy like Brissett gives you a lot of air cover. Um, if you were a front office and a coaching staff, if you wanted to, maybe open up the season against a really rough schedule. turns out you only win one or two games. You can kind of covertly tank for a higher draft pick while, while not really kind of showing your cards in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I think uh, that would probably have been the tack I took if mm-hmm. I was Indianapolis. Well, they, they certainly have a history of high draft picks on quarterbacks. My God, no, no franchise probably in any sport has done as, has been as lucky with as they have been. So maybe they can pull it off again. Listen, Josh, we're going to have to let you go, sadly, because we'd gladly happily, we'd gladly take you for another half hour or longer. We, um, we're watching. We hope, you, we hope you do well with your work and that enjoy, you enjoy the first week of the season. It's a fun time of year. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Guys. Absolutely. Josh Hermsmeyer, 538 writer, great follow on Twitter, at Frisco Josh, one of the best writers and observers, one of the leading um, commentators in the world of football analytics, Josh Hermsmeyer. We still have half of the show to go, including a segment with Aaron Schatz. More football talk in the next half hour. Come back and join us after the break. You're listening to Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics live every Wednesday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Some combination of us are here, four longtime co-host creators, co-creators of Wharton Moneyball. This morning, at the moment, Cade Massey here hosting, joined by my friends and faculty colleagues Shane Jensen and Eric Bradlow. Audie Weiner was here for the first hour at Step Away. This fall, he's teaching a 9 o'clock class and has to step away. Sadly, just off the phone with one of our favorite football analysts and guests, Josh Hermsmeyer. Hero of ours. You should follow Josh. You should listen to Josh. Good conversation with him. Another one coming up. Longtime friend of the show, maybe an annual guest. We've been doing, this is our sixth season. I bet Josh has been. I bet. I bet. I bet Aaron has been on here each of those years. Aaron Schatz created Football Outsiders in two thousand three. Launched in some sense Football Analytics, one of the first really well known, well read, widely influential football analysts out there. Aaron Schatz, always glad to talk to you. Good morning to you, Aaron. Hey man, good morning. Busy morning. Busy morning. Well, it's a busy week. It's coming. I mean, it's finally here, right? I mean, your reason for being is back around. It's football season again, Aaron. Yes, thank God for my raison d'être. <laughs> I assume you're calling in from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm in morning. Worcester now. Actually, you're I moved out to the burbs. Oh wow! All right. How is that? 
That's a big change. It's a big change, but, you know, there were family reasons, and uh, I'm looking for good restaurants. Okay. Well, that's a worthy a worthy enterprise. Listen, you've had some other changes. We don't talk about a lot of things, but I am curious. A year on, a year on, how has the new organization been working out for you? So we first heard of Edge Analytics. They were in the press after they worked with some NFL teams, play, play, playmaking, game, in-game decision-making via their simulation. They were famously working with the Eagles when they made their run to the Super Bowl. And then they turn around and go on a spending spree and pick up Football Outsiders. They bought Football Outsiders. So you've been in partnership with Edge Analytics. The guys, they're in St. Louis, is it? Where is it in the... That's they're not, in Louisville. Louisville. They're in Louisville. How has, in what way is your work different now because Edge has been involved with you? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is the change was the website itself. I mean, as soon as we did the deal, they hired somebody to redesign the website. And so uh, the website looks much better. It particularly looks much better in mobile. It runs faster. Yep. We changed the back end. We finally updated the back end of the website this year. Uh, so there's a lot of complications with that when you go from a very old form of the Drupal programming to a newer form. Yep. Uh, but we're we're working through all of those kinks. Uh, but the site's going to run much better. We're going to have much more stability. We've advertised our products much more. I mean, I have people who can manage, you know, product manager, marketing. Uh, I did all that stuff myself. Right. Before. Right. So that frees me up, hopefully, to do more analytics and more writing and more. Uh, of the stuff that I'm actually known for, not the business management. Yep, yep, yep. Well, we are looking at your website now. First, I want to praise you for your picture for the Off the Charts podcast. You got the Longhorns up there, college football picture, and George Bulldogs, Matty Dats, boss man around here, producer, is a Bulldogs guy. So that's a picture from the Sugar. Who won that game at? I forget the Sugar Bowl last year. Oh, yeah, right. The Horns won that one. So nice. That, oh, nice I hadn't. I nice, hadn't. I hadn't. <laughs> I couldn't remember that. <laughs> nice pick. Kid. All right, let's drop down DVOA playoff odds report. Let's just drop to the bottom line, man. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? We got we got six thousand things we could talk about. Let's talk about the 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 horriest one. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? You guys on your front page. This looks like your picks from last year. You had Saints and Pats last year in the Super Bowl, which is what it should have been. It wasn't, but it's what it should have been. And you have Saints number one to make it this year. Thirteen point five percent. Drew Brees believer. Tell us about I know, your odds. And the Patriots, picking the Patriots again in the AFC is so boring, isn't it? <laughs> My God. I don't know. I don't know. I could see some upsides to it. <laughs> we had the Chargers. We actually had the Chargers as our favorite, and then the injuries came. So once we accounted for the Derwin James injury and the Russell Okung blood clot, yeah. Melvin Gordon hold out, and, uh, you know, the importance of them in that order, yeah. uh, we ended up having to drop the Chargers, so now we're back to the Patriots as our AFC favorite. Can you, can you explain that, 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 Hold on one second. Let's, let's hear more about that because this is a really interesting challenge in analytics to work the injuries into the models, and you've got some way of doing that. And you're, I mean, yeah, you're, to even kind of create a, essentially a Super Bowl probability that, that factors in the individual, like, you know, so individual you, players beyond, you know, something like quarterbacks, which yeah, we all qu recognize right. would, would have a huge effect well, on the probability. We I mean, don't factor in every individual player. But, for example, our defensive projection has a spot for the change in the defensive player's value over replacement. We just use the approximate value from... Uh, PFR, because that's the best value that we have available to us publicly. PFR. But dirt, uh, uh, pro football reference. Okay. 
But we, uh, you know, Derwin James had a ton of value last year. So it's the amount that you're going to drop their defense when you lose a player with the kind of value that Derwin James had last year. Well, give us a, and give us a, on, on give offense, us. They have a, an, you know, we have an offensive line variable. So we penalize them for the loss of their left tackle. And then that affects their projection as well. So give us some sense. The projection, of course, is from a simulation that goes back to their schedule, but also fundamentally their power ranking. So you've got some kind of number on every team. And you're moving that number around based on the health of their roster, essentially. And and the power ranking is usually in kind of expected points against an average team on a neutral field. So you can it, it translates directly into the betting line. So when you say Derwin James really affects Derwin James going out, really affects the Chargers defense. How much are you talking about? Like how much would it move the betting line to 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 lose Derwin James? Oh, not much. Not much at all. I mean, a player who's not a quarterback doesn't move a betting line very much. It shouldn't. But when you when you no, but when you add these little bits together, yeah, it's enough to move the Chargers below the Patriots. Yeah, in this, our projections for the season. I think you guys have been out front of this. People are people are catching up eventually, right? This is this is the way baseball's been done forever. Increasingly, this is the way basketball's done. These player level models. You were early. You've got this injury report, and you you were early on on saying, look, it's not one player, but it's the accumulation of a number of players that can actually add up to a substantive difference. Yeah, Aaron, this is Eric, brother. I wanted to ask you, the one thing that surprises me maybe the most is that you, in the AFC, you have the Kansas City Chiefs as being the fourth most favorite. You have and, the Steelers ahead of the Chiefs. Right. Well, it's not just the Steelers, but, you know, Kansas City was one play away from going to the Super Bowl last year. So what have you guys seen that has changed in Kansas City that would make them the fourth most favorite among the AFC teams? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is that we, you know, we just expect some regression from their offense just because they played at such a ridiculously super high level last year yeah. that it's rare for, I mean, we talk about regression much more with defenses than with offenses because offense is easier to predict than defense. Defense tends to regress more heavily than offense. But when you play at the ridiculous level that Kansas City played last year, I mean, they were like one of the top 10 offenses we've ever measured in our numbers. And right. that's after adjusting. That's after adjusting for the quality of uh, that's after adjusting for the quality of the league overall. Um, you know, even though we have them as our number two, they have our number two offensive projection uh, behind New Orleans. Uh, we, you know, that's still so much lower than what they were last year. That when you combine that with a below-average defense, even though mm-hmm. we have their defense improving. When you combine that with a below-average defense, you end up with the fourth-highest team in the AFC mm-hmm. rather than the first. So you, you the have AFC. their defense actually having kind of improved even with the loss of Houston and D four. Uh, yeah, I mean uh, they uh, they added Frank Clark, and here's one that people aren't talking about. But they added Morris Claiborne, who was reasonable last year, a mm. reasonable cornerback for the mm. Jets. He's going to be, you know, they, they had huge holes at the cornerback position. And I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up starting for them after he comes back from a four-game um, a suspension. Uh, but they, they added a good amount of, of defensive talent. It's mm-hmm. not just that they lost defensive talent. Mm-hmm. And they also asked to, uh, added Tyron Matthews. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, you both both those guys are LSU guys, aren't they? Or am I getting that wrong? Matthew certainly, but it's Matthew's Morris, an LSU guy. Claiborne, 
I believe also is an LSU guy, yes. So I love, just as a high level, this is something we all need to do in every walk of life, is just expect regression to the mean. And we tend to say, oh, here's this new thing, and it's going to continue being what it has been. The, the first most parsimonious thing you can say is they'll probably not be at the same level as they were last year. So, so kudos on that big time. One of the questions I'm curious about within that regression to the mean is, the 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 tension between presumably you know Mahomes was a really young quarterback his first year as a full time starter he's going to get better on the other side teams defenses around the league hadn't seen much of this before and as spectacular as it is NFL defenses are pretty good at adjusting so you've got yeah, this tension the limit to this going to get better though when you start when you start at the level that he started at you can't get much better than that it's sort of like Dan Marino's nineteen eighty four right like. You can't get much better than what he was that early on. Okay. Even though for most quarterbacks, yes, for like Baker Mayfield, for Lamar Jackson, for Josh Allen, we're like, oh, they'll probably get better. I don't know how much better Mahomes <laughs> That's can funny. Really get. Well, what about defenses? Are, to what extent is the I mean, de- NFL defenses are famous for figuring a guy out, adjusting, and then everyone copies what works, and just quickly, you know, there's a new equilibrium. Is that something we're going to see this year? Well, I don't know because nobody figured out that last year. I think it's a better question about the Rams. Right, because the Rams' offense, which was number uh, the number two offense in our ratings last year, they got figured out in the Super Bowl by the Patriots. Tell, tell us about Patriots that. Didn't feel, feel, they didn't figure out the Chiefs' offense. They just outscored the Chiefs okay. in the AFC Championship game. Tell us how but they the, figured out. What in what way did they figure out the Rams? Remind us. Did they figure out the Rams' offense? Well, they they played their linebackers really kind of wide to take away the zone runs, those wide zone runs that the Rams like. And mm-hmm. then when the Rams couldn't do the wide zone runs, they didn't run the play actions that are based on the wide zone runs. Okay. Um, and then they kept their, they kept um, uh, Jonathan Jones, who's normally a cornerback. They played him as kind of a safety and put him in the middle of the field to take away the sort of like mid range crossing routes. So, Aaron, let me ask you a question. It gets back to the mean reversion. By the way, I love your answer to that question. Just to understand how football outsiders would do it, let's imagine you have two teams. Let's imagine one team that's a seven on offense. Let's say just let's just take a simple scale, one to ten scale. There are seven on offense and seven on defense. So, if you'd like somewhere fourteen total strength points, and another team that's ten on offense and four on defense. If there were no changes in the following year, you would have the 10-4 team predicted worse than the 7-7 team because the 10-4 team, is, their 10 is going to revert back farther. I just want to understand how you guys do it. Well, not necessarily because, see, here's the thing is that I mean, Kansas City was sort of an extreme example. Well, they're a 10-4 uh, team. They're a, they're a, a, a strong offense for de- a, a weaker defense. And so right. you revert the farther you are from the extreme, you revert back farther. Oh, I see. I mean, I guess, yeah, if you're thinking of the average as five. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. of the average is five. So wouldn't Kansas City drop more in your rankings than a team like, for example, maybe you could say the Chargers, who had a good defense and a good offense, but not great on any dimension? Yeah, I mean, there's more that goes into it than that. It's more than just looking at regression. I mean, we look at the ratings over the last three years. Teams tend to revert to their sort of past performance, you know, even with all the player changes that take place. We look at the personnel changes on both sides of the ball. We look at uh, how long the teams had the coordinator and the system, right? Teams tend to learn a new system. It usually takes them more than a year. Uh, All other things being equal, teams tend to take a step back when they have a new offensive or defensive system. 
so we look at all of these things, um, and 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 then especially, and this is a big one for defense, is turnovers regressing to the mean. That's a huge one yeah, on the defensive right. side of the ball because turnovers are driven more by the offense than the defense, but the defense obviously gets the benefit of them, and uh, that tends to regress to the mean pretty heavily from year to year. So teams that are very low in takeaways will improve on defense the following year. Teams that are very high in takeaways will decline on defense the following year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Aaron Schatz. Aaron is longtime football analyst. He founded Football Outsiders in 2003. He writes for ESPN, ESPN the magazine. He also has a season-long podcast called Off the Charts. Aaron Schatz, longtime football analyst. Aaron, you mentioned Mayfield a minute ago. It's hard not to talk about the Browns as we look around the NFL, one of the more interesting stories in the league. I don't see them in the top half of your DVOA playoff odds report, so you're not that long on them. What What are you expecting out of the Browns? Yeah, I'm expecting them to be better than our numbers, but not as good as conventional wisdom. I don't think they're top Super Bowl contenders. I would put them in my top 15. We have their defense regressing, um, partly because it was poor before last year, partly because they they didn't gain as much talent and as you they, they gained talent but they also lost talent like I mean they lost uh, they lost to Jamie Collins and they lost um, uh, Jabril Peppers and so they've added right, right. linemen. They, here's the thing is they've got a really good like the starting lineup they don't have a lot of depth so when the inevitable injuries come. That Cleveland defense may not be as good as people think. Do they need to be good if you've got May- May- Mayfield and, and uh, Odell Beckham-Jane's out there? Yeah, I mean, I'm a believer in the offense, and I think that our projections might be a little too low on their offense. We, we, we incorporated, certainly, the addition of Odell Beckham into the personnel variables, and that boosted them a lot. Mm-hmm. The other thing about their defense is I was talking about takeaways per drive, right? Like, Cleveland was third in the lead league in defensive takeaways per drive, so that tends to regress towards the mean. It's really the, the having them below the top fifteen is really more about the defense than it is the offense. But I do think that they're better than our projection, and and um, and it's, I would put them in my top fifteen. They also have an easy schedule, which is a sort of surprising that they didn't end up in our top 15, given that their schedule is near the bottom of the league. Well, the schedule, I, mean, I always kind of scoff at NFL's strength of schedule stuff. Compared to college football differences, it's just so meaningless, right? I mean, the, I think the where well, it really... it's still meaningful. It's nothing like college football, but it's still meaningful. Where it's most meaningful is because at the midway point in the season, teams have very disparate strengths of schedule and people make mis they misproject performance because they don't understand that. But by the end of the season, there's just not, there's just not that much, especially ex ante. There's not much you can say, but listen, there's another team that's really hard to understand because they're trying to do something different than anyone's done before. And that's the, the Ravens. What are your expectations for the Ravens? You've got them on your, we're just being, we're just being lazy here and look at the top of your website, but they're, they're number 12 on your Super Bowl odds, which is 2.7%. So, you know, in the conversation, but not serious, but more generally, what do you expect from a team that's going to try to run the quarterback as much as they are? Well, the question is how much are they going to try to run the quarterback? I mean, if you prorate the last seven games of last year to 16 game season, they would run the quarterback more than any other team ever. Uh, we don't think that they're going to try to do it that much. We mm-hmm. think that they'll evolve into being more of a standard offense. I think I end up in our fantasy projections I giving Lamar Jackson something like uh, 160 carries or something, which wow. would be the second or 
This is like the second or third highest total for a quarterback. Yeah, ever, ten a game. But, ten a game sounds scary for, yeah. for but a QB. Last year it was like fifteen a game, dude. Right, right. But for you know, like for whatever half the season that he started, right. Yep. Interest- well, what's interesting is that that uh, you know analytics shows that passing is more efficient than running, and yet this is a team, and this is a team that just hired three analytics people for its front office, and yet they're going to try to run like by far the most run heavy offense in the league. So it's sort of interesting. The is- other interesting thing is how much defense their defensive talent has cycled because they lost yeah. based on the AV over replacement. Um, if you account for the addition of Earl Thomas, uh, they still lost the second most amount of defensive talent of any team in the last 15 years. Oh, my gosh. The 2009 Tampa Bay Bucks. Oh so, but they were That's... actually below average in takeaways last year. So that would tend to make them a better defense this year. Right, just by just because the takeaways are so noisy, and you expect that to bounce back some. Interesting, yeah. It's pretty bad when you're the second, the lowest in whatever you say ten years after getting one of the best safeties in the history of the league. That's that's a little scary. All right. So, Aaron, what about other stories around the league? We're naming kind of the obvious ones, but are there some under the under the radar stories that we think we should be paying attention to? Um. I mean, I think the Seattle Seahawks are pretty interesting, but they, you know, they were they were a little more under the radar before the Jadavian Clowney trade. Right. Um, you know, I mean, everybody was kind of expecting this this decline by them this year, except, you know, their offense was pretty good last year. And why would it decline when the only player that it really lost was Doug Baldwin, who wasn't fully healthy last year anyway? But at the same time, Seattle is sort of in a weird position because. Uh, they run the ball too much. They're they're uh, <laughs> there's sort of a Simpsons paradox, right? Between C- Simpsons Seattle paradox. Now you're much. speaking our language. What do you mean by Simpsons paradox, Aaron? Simpsons paradox means when you have two numbers that are like two splits of a number that are higher for for one group than for the other group, but when you combine them, they're lower for the first group than the other group because of how many uh, uh, samples there are in each. In each example. Well, we need to make this one more concrete. That was an abstract description. Can you do it, Eric? Can yeah, just... so let's imagine that... Can you tell that I'm not a train <laughs> No, no, I, I, I was fine. So let's imagine Team A gets more yards per pass than Team B. Team A also gets more yards per run than Team B, but their mixing of passing and running is very different from each other. So overall, Team B gets more yards per play because they, in quote, call the right types of plays more often. That would be an right. example of Simpson's paradox applied to football. The, the paradox being and that Team B is worse on, on both, both dimensions. dimensions but when overall, you isolate them, but when, overall. You, when you combine it, they're actually better because they passes get more yards than runs. That would be a good that's, example. That's what happened comparing Pittsburgh to Seattle last year is that Pittsburgh, Seattle was better passing and better rushing, but because they ran the ball so much, they um, they they were actually a worse offense overall than Pittsburgh. It's remarkable. Aaron, how does this how does it happen that it's it's I mean we want to say in this day and age, you know, in this day and age we have these guys who are like just you gotta pound the rock, you gotta salvage the run, despite so much evidence to the contrary. And then you've got a head coach there who has won at multiple levels. Seems, you know, you'd think that he would, 
I, this is I'm judgy from a distance, but I mean, and I don't know what I'm. No, they seem about, to be a very well run and well coached yeah, franchise. Exactly, exactly. You kind of wouldn't expect them. This to is kind what of I'm trying to say. Do this, yeah. This Thank is you, like Shane. disadvantageous decision making, unless it's just trauma from the one time they should have run when they passed. <laughs> there are a lot of instances in the NFL where it's surprising that organizations that we tend to think of as smarter organizations still make disadvantageous decision making. Nobody is. Nobody is doing anything, quote-unquote, perfectly by the analytical standards. And uh, so I don't – I mean, I don't get it. I don't understand why Seattle is so intent on running the ball all the time. I don't know – I mean, look, we don't know. Would Russell Wilson be somehow, quote-unquote, exposed if they suddenly passed the ball more? I mean, they passed the ball more in 2016 and 2017 than they did in 2018, and Russell Wilson looked wonderful. So I don't think that that's the case. Yeah. You know, speaking of Russell Wilson, what do you think about these these new this new it's not that new. There's some older studies on this, but it's it's bubbled up again. This idea that sacks aren't really a quarterback. Sacks aren't an offensive line stat. It's much more a quarterback stat. And I mention it in I terms think, of Russell Wilson because he's known as being a high sack guy, but it may be because he's a high risk taker and he likes to throw the ball downfield. Right. I think what's important is not to say sacks aren't an offensive line stat. But to say that sacks are a quarterback stat, mm-hmm. I don't know what the split is in responsibility mm-hmm. between the sort of, on one hand, the quarterback and the scheme, and on the other hand, the offensive line blocking. Mm-hmm. But it's not 100 and zero. Analytics people on Twitter have a tendency <laughs> to massively overstate things you think? and simplify. You think? Only the analytics well, people on yeah, Twitter, though. Otherwise, Twitter's just this bastion of deep intellectual thought. Right. So it's not that sacks are only a quarterback stat. Listen, I've counted sacks for quarterbacks in my numbers since I started in 2003. So I was writing, you know, I was riding the bandwagon of sacks are a quarterback stat back when the bandwagon was a tricycle. (laughs) Right, right. But but it's also an offensive line stat. And I think it's important that we not we not overstate yeah. that it, it still matters for us. There, there are situations where offensive line, you know, there are times where you bring in a bad offensive lineman and he gives up four sacks. Yeah. And game charting, you know, game charting can help us separate between the teams that have blown block sacks right. and the teams that have sacks that are um, more related to the running, you know, coverage sacks, more related to the, the quarterback running around a lot behind yeah. the line. But listen, we've known that sacks were a quarterback stat ever since Rob Johnson replaced Doug Flutie. <laughs> and Doug Flutie was, was barely sacked, and Rob Johnson was sacked like every three plays. <laughs> You're saying that if, that if Shane Jensen was QBing for, for – uh... The Pats that they might take a few more sacks than they do right now. That's I think I'd be running around a lot more. <laughs> I can tell you that. So, so what? What are the nice wrinkles that came out of that analysis? I think the fellow's name is Rob Harstad. Rob, I don't know Rob, but we're going to have him on the show in about a month because he wrote such a ridiculously good piece about this. He 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 brought it. He brought it. He connected it to risk homeostasis, or at very least risk risk um, adjustment is not quite the right word. Adam Harstad, not Rob Harstad. Adam Harstad, and the idea is that. People tend to take the same amount of risk, and so if you make them do something that reduces the risk in one dimension, they'll crank it up in another dimension. So I had, a, I had an econ prof at Chicago back in the day who was best known for a paper on seatbelts. He predicted that 
whenever people were forced to wear seatbelts, they would drive faster, and so it wouldn't have as big an adjustment on their injuries as as you might expect. And so so Adam takes this argument and says, look, it's just that some quarterbacks are more risk tolerant, so you give them better protection, and they'll use it. They'll use it to they'll use it to hold the ball longer, wait for a guy to come open, throw the ball deeper, that kind of thing. They're using it for good reasons, but you may not see them generate the sack quote benefits because of it. And that's supposedly well, you Russell see the Wilson. And that you'll see the longer, you'll see the yeah. longer pass. Right, you see the benefits somewhere you don't expect them. It's not in lower sacks. It's in the longer, you know, per attempt um, average. That it kind of, of you know, it kind of, you know, it's another example. Where it hints at sort of the kind of all these indirect correlations between these different uh, aspects of the games that you wouldn't exactly. don't necessarily connect together in a in one isolated analysis. And it's one of the reasons analytics communities like back to the analytics yeah. being too glib on Twitter. We're too glib in our analysis. I mean, it's really hard to capture all these indirect effects when you're just focused on here. Look, here's the stat. There's the summary. These guys are wrong. Well, maybe there's something else going on. We've got to be a little bit humble about it. So, so, Aaron, I wanted to ask you, this Eric Bradlow again, I wanted to ask you about, I'll call it AFC versus NFC stability. So I just wrote down the last play, the playoff teams from 2018, the AFC and the NFC, and just hearing you speak about it, um, it sounds to me like you expect potentially a significant amount of change over in the AFC, but maybe less in the NFC. Because, for example, last year the Colts made the playoffs. I don't hear you particularly high on the Colts for maybe obvious reasons. Maybe the Texans. Maybe the Ravens. I mean, those were three teams that made the playoffs. I, I assume you believe the Patriots, Chiefs, and Chargers are likely to make the playoffs. But that's saying there could be half the turnover. If you look at the NFC, you have the Saints, the Rams— the Eagles, the Bears, the Seahawks, and the Cowboys. Do you like if you were a team not yeah. in the playoffs last year? Do you see more? I'll call it NFC stability and less AFC stability, or maybe I'm reading you wrong. Yeah, I think you're reading it a little wrong. I mean, partly because, first of all, when you have a projection system like ours, you have a projection system that's based on objective prior data rather than subjective. Oh, this is what I kind of think. Yeah, it's going to have a lot of teams repeat in the playoffs. You're going to end up erring on the side of too many repeaters, not erring on the side of too few repeaters. Yeah. So I believe when our official projections come out later today, we're going to end up projecting 10 teams out of 12 to repeat in the playoffs. Five. In I'll the take time. the under. <laughs> yeah, And he would, and too. I'll take the under. Yeah, Aaron, right? exactly. But it actually but it's but it's. But that projection usually ends up being closer to the truth than trying to guess which teams that weren't in the playoffs last year right. will make it. Yeah. yeah, I said I can guess so the I, number. I can't <laughs> say which. Yeah, I believe the only teams that we have in our top 12 that were not in the playoffs last year are Pittsburgh and Green Bay uh, because, I, uh, because when Indianapolis – uh, dropped out with the luck retirement. Tennessee came in, and they were in the playoffs last year. I see. Okay. Well, it. I, but you're and so with Houston because uh, 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 there, there were three AFC South teams in the playoffs last year, right? So, um, so uh, when you uh, when you drop out the Colts, you you bring back another team that was in the playoffs. Last yep. Year. Yep. I love the point that it's a very good general point about analytics. Like you're not going to make you're not going to predict the exceptional thing. If, um, you, you might predict how often the exceptional occurs, but you're Sorry. not going to name well, the exceptional. The thing that thing. I also like, That's Aaron, wrong. about what— I'm wrong. Yeah, the, I'm wrong. Tennessee was in the playoffs two years ago. They were not in the playoffs last year, so it's going to be 9 out of 12. Got it. Yeah, I got thought it. The, the point you were also making, Aaron, was that 
your prediction system is not built to predict repeats in the playoffs. That's not what it's built for. If someone wanted to build such a system, one could build a more accurate system for that, but it might predict a lot of other things worse. That's how I also interpreted uh, what you were saying. Right, right. Right, we're trying to project wins overall, and it just so happens, especially, by the way, over the last few years, it has teams have been more consistent than they were in the early part of the 2000s. Interesting. So we're trying to project wins for all 32 teams. We're not necessarily, it's not necessarily built to specifically predict the 12 playoff teams. It's trying to predict the wins for all 32. Got it. Aaron, last question. We're going to have to let you go. Curious what you're most excited about for this weekend. What are you going to be paying attention to? I mean, I, there's a lot of great games. I think a lot of people are really excited for Kansas city, Jacksonville because of the matchup of Tyreek Hill against Jalen Ramsey. Sure. Um, I also think it's sort of interesting to see the Thursday night game because uh, there's been a lot written this offseason about Chicago, and certainly we've led the way in writing about the likely regression of the Chicago defense, but there's also been a good amount written about how Aaron Rodgers has declined over the last couple of years. Right. So now it's Aaron Rodgers versus the Chicago defense. It's sort of, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to sort of see which analytical yeah. – uh, precept seems to be more accurate after week one. Of course, then we'll all jump to conclusions. Yeah, right. Because next week is national jump to conclusions week. <laughs> and the actual, in, in actuality, you learn more by waiting a lot longer. But that won't stop us from jumping to conclusions after one week. I hear there's a lot of good stuff. That's good. Let's, let's, let's try to inoculate ourselves against that ahead of time. It's a great idea. You did not mention what I thought you might mention. A primetime game Sunday night. Your New England Patriots are hosting Pittsburgh. I will be there for the Patriots Pittsburgh hey, game, look and at that. you know it's that's two of our top three AFC teams. Exactly, uh, and it should be. I mean, you know, with that one, I think uh, watching how Pittsburgh distributes its, its passing game will be interesting uh, because of the fact that uh, you know we're waiting to see what happens with Antonio without Antonio Brown. Plus, it also depends on where the Patriots put Stephon Gilmore because Gilmore was the best cornerback in the league last year. If Gilmore covers Juju Smith-Schuster, then you really have the question of which of the secondary receivers is Pittsburgh going to more, Washington or Moncrief or the rookie Dante Johnson. So that should be definitely interesting to watch, especially for like fantasy football purposes for which Pittsburgh receivers you want for the rest of the year, (laughs) since I happen to think that the Pittsburgh passing game has been a little underrated after the departure of Antonio Brown. Excellent. Another overreaction. Fantastic call. All right, listen, Aaron, we'll let you go. Good luck this week getting things off the ground. Always delighted to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And I just want to remind all the listeners that the Football Outsiders Almanac 2019 is still available. And because we sell it in PDF form on our website, you can download it and get a preview of the season right now on your laptop or phone screen and read our 500 pages of previews before the season even starts. (laughs) That's great. They're at footballoutsiders.com. Aaron Schatz created that thing back in 2003, been leading the world in football analytics since then. You can read him on ESPN, ESPN ESPN the magazine. You can also listen to him on the Off the Charts podcast during the football season, Aaron Schatz. All right, that has been three quarters. We have one quarter to go. Come back and join us after the break. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Martin Nawaga, bring us back from break. Bring us up out of the bottom of the hour. 
putting his own stamp on the music around here. Sound engineer, new sound engineer. Glad to have him on the team. This is Cade Massey hosting along with Shane Jensen and Eric Bradlow. Some combination of us are here every Wednesday morning, 8 to 10. You guys can join us. Give us a ring at one eight four four wharton That's one 844 Business Radio is our email, businessradio at cirrusxm.com. Or hit us up on Twitter at WMoneyBall is our handle on Twitter. Great way to reach out to us. Also have a Dion Simpkins sighting. It's a rare thing. It's tough to get him away from those bonbons in the back room this early in the morning, but he's in the studio troubleshooting, making things happen. Maybe it's football. We got Dion out here because it's football season. Got any word on the Eagles? Dion, what's going to happen with the Eagles this year, man? Are they going to make the Super Bowl? People talking. Cautious big, optimism. Cautious optimism. What does that look Every like? Every year. Really? I think that's the, the Eagles fans are so much better adjusted now. They've won a Super Bowl. All the like, all the drama's kind of out of their yeah, system. I'm comfortable Who's, now. Who are the Eagles fans as cautiously optimistic? I'm cautiously <laughs> optimistic. That, that's it's, my it's, answer every year. No, no. I, I feel like it, it, it's taken away a lot of the kind of angst, uh, but they <laughs> they totally. haven't yet developed that sense of His entitlement. Like, oh, Super Bowl! Yeah, football starting this week. Yeah, right. I guess I'll watch that game. You know. <laughs> All right, guys, before we get to NFL, let's run a little bit through the college football world because we got some, we got week two, and I want to talk about what's, we got some interesting games. You know, we're not in the full slate yet, and so you got to kind of hunt and peck to find them. But each region of the country has a little something to offer, I'd say. So the kind of the flashy game, a couple of flashy games, both involving Texas teams. A&M is going to Clemson, and Clemson, of course, is a world beater. A&M has quietly been building a heck of a roster down there. Of course, Jimbo Fisher, second year running the ship. Signing that big contract. They are big dogs, big dogs, 17 and a half points, despite being a talented team. And uh, that's, I don't know, I think that's a night game over there in Clemson. The, my, our numbers, our numbers are moving around. We're still kind of playing, but we, we I'm not going to say exactly how much we disagree, but we disagree with that line. 17 we, points sounds like a lot. I'm said, I said I'm not going to say no, no, exactly. No, he didn't say the differential. He's just saying 17 is the oh, line. I'm, I'm just referencing, I I'm see, just yeah. referencing is a the actual line well, that the, you stated. That's right. And Think, it sounds like an awful lot, even with Clemson being who at, they are. Right. And and we and we think A&M, you know, they play in a very tough division, toughest one, but we think they're a talented team. We make my top 10 team. So you'd be a little surprised to see Anybody with a 17-point line over another top 10 team. What else do we got around around the country? Uh, Cincinnati's going to Ohio State. Ohio State had a great opening week performance. They might actually be real despite Urban Meyer moving on. Cincinnati's a legit team. They have the chance to be one of the best, if not the best, out of the group of five. They had a real tight game with UCLA in their opening week. Big line, again, 16.5 points there. And that might be something to look at because Cincy's probably underrated. Nebraska-Colorado's fun. Old Big Eight rivalry. Nebraska's going out to Colorado. Nebraska disappointed in their first week, probably. That's a four-point line. Nebraska expected to win, but they're still figuring out the system under Scott Frost. LSU, Texas. That seems like the game of the week. That, as far it, as. that seems such. Let me say why to me that's such a critical game. Because forget just because I know my co-host here yeah. loves Texas football. Let's ima- let's play a couple scenarios out. One scenario is Texas wins the game. And now all of a sudden we're thinking, you know, the Big 12 is real. In other words, the team that isn't projected right now to be the top in the Big 12, it's not Oklahoma, but Texas is a legitimate team in the Big 12, very legitimate. They beat one of the top teams in the SEC. That would just be, I mean, to me, that would say 
the Big 12 is really competitive. You're seeing this game as a potential, like it would legitimize the Big 12. Exactly. I'm seeing it even bigger than Texas football. It would legitimize the Big 12 because everyone believes LSU so, is a potential playoff team in this some year. indirect way... Oklahoma could be helped by a Texas victory here, right? Oh, uh, definitely. Except for the fact that you had update on Texas' strength. Well, right. Uh, other, uh, no, I mean, I guess it's it's a weird conditional. Conditional on Oklahoma staying ahead of Texas yeah. in the season. No, but Texas I'll give you what it could mean. Would it could mean Oklahoma. a one-loss Oklahoma team could be more likely to make oh, yeah, the playoffs sure. if yeah. they were playing a stronger Texas yeah. sure. I That's love that football game. I'm I'm so interested in that yeah. football game. Well, so it's a primetime game Saturday night. It's the it's a game day game. So college game day is going to be in Austin, which is a lot of fun. Texas uh you know, going to find out whether they're back or not. They they are 6-point dogs at home here. This game opened in June at like two and a half. Early this week, it was snuck up to four and a half, and now it's to six. Can I ask you, just as a obviously as a Longhorn fan, are there any moral victories in this game? Texas loses a close game. Anything like, well, we're sort of back. We're in the top tier. Yeah, but we- I mean, look, you're a six point underdog. You're not supposed to win the game, and so you want to be competitive. You want to be as physical. You, you know, you don't want to be out athleted by these SET teams because that kind of plays into the stereotype so i think i think so also your season's not over you lose one out of conference game to one of the top teams in the country you're not out of it yet we've learned that over the years with the playoff they still have they sell everything in front of them if they want it they got oklahoma in front of them also but they still have the but let me ask you a question they still still control their own destiny if they win this game yeah does your prediction is that they're likely i don't want to say worst case scenario because anything could happen but they could easily, not easily, they're likely to be a one-loss <laughs> team at that point, at worst. Well, no, not at worst. I mean, the, the thing about the Big 12, you have to go through a championship game, so you, you might have to play Oklahoma, you probably have to play Oklahoma twice. And then also Tom Herman, the coach at Texas, is famous for getting up in these big games. He's got a great record. When he was at Houston, they had this famous week one victory over Oklahoma where they did, it wasn't a fluky victory. They beat the hell out of Oklahoma when you know, this is a group of five team. And he, But to go with that, he has a reputation for dropping some games he's not supposed to drop. And so even if they beat LSU kind of in Herman fashion, you might th- expect them to go to Iowa State and drop one to Iowa any, State or Baylor. Any interest? Not any? F- does the college football people that really care a Stanford-USC game, is that worth anything? It's a second-tier Pac-12 game. It's a, it's, a, it's a nice tight line, and these are obviously marquee programs out there. It's, it's, USC is a one-point favorite. Just because Washington and Oregon are the elite, and so Stanford-USC well, is goes, a second-tier until it, they prove otherwise. It goes deeper than that because USC is down in the south, and um, they're not really expected. They're, I mean, they're going to be competitive, but Utah is the favorite in the south. The worst thing about that game is that USC just lost their starting quarterback. JT Daniels was right. their starter last year. He won again this year in a tight competition out there. He goes down with a season-ending knee injury last weekend. And so they're having to play a guy who has no experience. His first game's going to be against Stanford. That's why the line is lower than otherwise you would have expected USC to be a little bit more of a favorite. One other kind of under-the-radar game, Minnesota's going out to Fresno State. That's fun for two reasons. One, Fresno is a great group of five team, better than most people think. They're hosting, so that's an advantage. Minnesota is our like massive people that likes them as the dark as the favorite for the Big Ten West, and I'm kind of highlighting the Big Ten West as a under the radar fun non Alabama non Clemson story to keep your eye on this this like Texas, this season. They're back. No, the, 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 the division is back. <laughs> yeah, right. The division but is I back. Get, yeah. more, than, more than that they're back, any one of five or six teams could legitimately yeah. win that division. So it's by far the most interesting division race in the country. We're going to keep an eye on Minnesota to see if there is real going as, they, as we but thought But I would assume this is Fresno State's big out-of-conference game of the year. I don't know who else they might have. 
I don't know who else they have there. Um, the, well, hold on. Who did who did USC beat last week? USC. It was, I thought it was Fresno State. Was it not? Or was it San Diego State? One of those two teams. I don't know their schedule, so I don't know which one of them. Okay. Is. All right. Let's jump over to the professional slate. We have NFL games for the first time in seven months or whatever it's been. We've got a number of interesting issues. We're not going to officially do over-unders now that we're in football season, but we've got a nice rundown of possible over-unders. It's helpful to think about what's going to happen in this in the, in the NFL this year. Top, number one, this is something we've been talking on this show for the last hour and a half, especially when we had Josh Hermsmeyer on here. In the past, the pass percentage, the rush pass percentage has been, last year it was 58.9, it was 57.8, in 2017 this is the percentage of pass plays i'm assuming this is like scrimmage from plays from scrimmage so the question is it going to get up to 60 this year is it going to follow this trend is it going to continue ticking up is nfl going to follow the analytics community and cross the 60 percent pass play percentage what do you guys think so i'll tell you why i would go not that we're doing over unders i'll tell you why i would go under oh really i was gonna go over well i'll tell you just why because the differential between 17 and 18, maybe this is the wrong calculation, was 1.09%. I think there's a diminishing curve. In other words, really? that the growth, it will be more than 58.95, but maybe it's three quarters of the amount. I'm going to go accelerating curve. I'm, go I'm going to go convex. Convex, not concave. I, I, well, there has to be an upper <laughs> asymptote. So yours could be locally convex, but locally it can't con- be convex. Lo- locally convex? We've got a long way to yeah, go before be lo- that thing. All right. Well, that's, that's, that's where we, I don't say disagree. I think it's going to be concave. I think it's under 60%. I think it'll be under as well. I think you'll have, because I think, you know, I think teams adapt very quickly to these types of, like, kind of, tra- I, this is a very small trend over time. If there was any kind of extreme move on that, you'd have, I think, teams kind of counterbalancing that. I th- So I think it'll stay under 60% as well, especially with Baltimore. Baltimore might bring it down just the, alone. They might <laughs> exactly. run, out, might run but, on every play. Yeah, exactly. So some of the favorite teams around here, I don't really have one in the NFL other than teams that I'm working for at any given moment. But I, we know that Eric does. We know that Shane does. Your Bucks are betting line is six and a half wins this year. What do you think, Eric? I know you're wincing. Uh, oh, they're going to I don't I mean they're not unless, make it. I don't think so. I, no, they're not going to get to 7. I think unless Bruce Arians can fix Jameis Winston, I mean again, it's the same old story. You look at him stat-wise and the guy's thrown for, you know, almost 20,000 yards in 4/5 years. Um he turns the ball over way too much. He's not accurate enough. And so, look, with Mike Evans and O.J. Howard, and last year at least they had Deshaun Jackson, guys were open all over the field. And Jameis Winston is not going to find them. You can count on it, especially on the deep ball. He's an awful deep ball pass. So I'm going under. I don't think the Bucs win seven. Shane betting line on the Pats, 11.5. Over. Over my God, the Pats. It's just I know, it's just I know, so tiresome. It just is. So is tiresome. Are you guys done with it? Yeah. How many years of the last? How many years have they won the division? Uh, well, fifteen out of the last sixteen. I Good think. Lord. Is that right? I mean, come ten on. in a row. How would you like Ten-in to be the row. Buffalo Bills in that division? I mean, that's just been a real. Brutal They're looking the most promising, years. at least. Very. Josh Allen, you believer. You believer in Josh Allen. You believer. All right, uh, let's do more over under on the wins. Let's pair a couple of teams and let's say. This is an interesting one. Browns versus Cowboys. They're both nine in the betting markets. Brown versus Cowboys. Who's going to have more wins? That's oh. fun. I think the Cowboys are going to have more wins than the Browns. All right. I think the Cowboys are going to have more wins than the Browns as well. I mean, I, I, I mean, I would love to see the Browns kind of 
have at least some part of the ascent that we're all kind of excited, you know, hyped about. But I think they are overhyped right I now. I want them to have just enough to really get people's hopes and then get completely dashed in the next couple of years. That's what I'm <laughs> Also, I'm that's, for. I mean, let's be honest. That's not an easy division no, to I start was just about stacking to say up that wins. AFC North is a very tough division. I mean, aren't Baltimore and Pittsburgh in that division? Yes, Yep. Now Cincinnati, I mean, Cincinnati could beat them once at home. I mean, yeah. they're saying that's that's a tough division. Yeah, it is. It is. I just I don't agree. see. I I don't think the I I don't think the Redskins and the Giants are particularly competitive this year, and so that's why I like the Cowboys better. I think it's a weaker division. Well, I then agree. that that argument might extend to the next pairing. How about Chiefs versus Eagle? The market the market has them at ten and a half for both. You didn't like the you didn't like the division, so that helps the Eagles as well. But you love Mahomes, so what are you going to do, Eric? Wow. I think I'm going to go Chiefs. I think the Chiefs win more games. I think the Chiefs were a great team last year, and they played a great team in the playoffs, and they were beaten. But they were they were the Pats' equal last year, and so I think they win more games than the Eagles. I think they're a better football team than the Eagles. Without looking at their schedules, I think they're a better team than the Eagles. If they were playing right now, I think the Chiefs would be favored, and I think the Chiefs will win more games. Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, I, I'm—, I'm, I'm very pro Chiefs. I think they're the top team in the AFC, to be honest. I think they're... Even above the Pats. I think they're going to... Yes. I mean, for the, all the reasons you mentioned. I mean, I think, you know, the I, I think they have a... It hurts me to say it, but they have, for this upcoming season, the better quarterback, and they're returning most of that offense, and their defense, as we kind of heard earlier in the show, um, is not going to probably take a step back. If anything, it might even take a step forward. So, yeah, I've got I've got the Chiefs higher than the Eagles. So season-long, let's talk about season-long forecast. And the, the easy thing to do is to pick Super Bowl teams. Let's take it one step back and pick Super Bowl semifinalists. Who do you have in the conference championships on both sides? It'd be crazy not to pick the Pats for the AFC, yeah. AFC championship. They've made it like eight years in a row. I think so. Yeah, I'm that's gonna. A, I'll, I'll, again, I'll take that. But yeah, that's I'll, a Super I'll, I'll Bowl winner. An, but this, like, who are the top four teams for you in the yeah, AFC? Oh, um, no, no, top two. Oh, do you do top oh, pot two? Sorry, you said yeah. NFL. I, I, I think it'll be New Sorry. England against uh, Kansas City in the AFC Championship game again. But I think uh, going up to that, I think the char. I think the Chargers are, are going to make some serious noise, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if at least this year Houston actually. Uh, competes houston houston wow, geez. a little dark horse there they're they're, they're making a play the short-term play yeah. so if they don't do it now they may not for a while so okay interesting nice nicely done Eric? Uh, well since he talked about the afc i'll just do the nfc i like the saints and the eagles in the nfc i think they're a notch above the other teams i'm not a big believer in the rams i saw in my view jared goff got exposed now bill belichick can expose lots of people especially from the defensive side of the ball I was not impressed with Jared Goff in the Super Bowl. Again, I, I thought he missed all kinds of receivers. He seemed rushed, um, even in the playoffs. I don't think he played that great in the playoffs. So I don't. Th- I think the Rams take a step back. I'm not that strong a believer in Trubisky and the Bears. Well, I was about to ask, what about yeah. the Bears? I think Mitch Trubisky is an average quarterback. I think he, you know what he is. Can you win the Super Bowl with Mitch Trubisky? Absolutely, you can. But you'll win it. I've look. I saw the the Buccaneers win a Super Bowl with Brad Johnson. You can win a Super Bowl <laughs> yeah. with an extraordinarily mediocre quarterback, Trent Dilfer of, yeah, of, of, of 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 yeah, Trent, ages past. Yeah, yeah, Trent Dilfer. So I mean, I think Trubisky at the moment is at that level. I think the Bears' defense is great, but I don't think they'll play as great. And they like, really do have to, for an average quarterback like that to win the Super Bowl, you have to have a pretty transcendent I actually, defense. Well, I thought about actually. Aaron talked about it just quickly, which was turnovers tends to revert back. 
And I think the Bears created a massive number of points off their defense, and I don't think they'll do as many this year. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Eric, I was with you in one of, my, in one of the most dramatic draft day moments in my professional life was that trade-up. We were that together. expected trade-up for Trubisky when the draft was here in Philadelphia. That was great fun. That was wonderful. All right, fellas, we're hitting the home stretch. Moneyball matchups. All right, this time of year, we end our we end our show with a segment on the NFL matchups. Some college matchups, some week. This week, we're just looking at NFL matchups. We're going to talk about any games that especially catch your attention because, for any reason, hopefully an analytics reason, but it doesn't have to be. Especially early in the year, we may not. I, I can I can say massive buddy. We're still pulling our numbers together, so I'm curious what games you guys are going to be paying attention to. If you see any especially interesting bets here. Well, the the game that catches my eye the most, and obviously I won't talk about the game I will be at on Sunday, which is the Buccaneers game, but I will talk about a different game. These are two teams I think could be make could be playoff worthy teams. It will be a I think a tiebreaker because I don't think either one of them is going to win the division. I'm sort of interested in the Falcons Vikings game. I think that's a game that um, you know in some sense the loser of that game is two games behind the other, both in, you know because head to head as well as uh, you know, one's one and zero and the other will be zero and one. I think those are two good teams, not two great teams. Um, so to me, I'm very interested in the Falcons-Viking game. If I had to bet that game, I like the Vikings and giving the points. I think that means they're pretty much equal on a neutral field. Maybe the Vikings are a one-point favorite on a neutral field. Um, I like the Vikings in that game. The line is minus four. So I think I like the Vikings giving the four points. I think that's a strong pick. Uh but, again, I'm interested to see because I think one of them, to me, not that no one's eliminated from the playoffs after the first week, but if the Vikings were to win that game in a strong fashion, that, to me, says something about they're not the Eagles, they're not the Saints, but could they be that three no, and I mean, six I think, in the uh, NFC? I agree. And the, I, I feel like the NFC North of all the – I mean, I always struggle with the AFC South as well, but the NFC North is very unpredictable this year, right? We've got – um, the Bears, as we sort of talked about, we don't know what, exactly how much they're going to regress, especially on the defensive side. You've got Green Bay, you've got, and you've got Minnesota in the mix. I mean, just two years ago, they were in the NFC Championship Correct. game. So, no, I mean, I, I think that that game will be kind of, that game will be diagnostic, certainly. Any I, game for you, Shane? I think an interesting one, just kind of following up on our discussion of about the Los Angeles Rams, who I also kind of feel are candidates for aggression, is they're playing the the Carolina Panthers. And I feel like the Carolina Panthers are always this underrated team because they they just not they're high variance. They just we just don't know what we're gonna get out of them. So I'm kind of I'm excited about that matchup. I think that Carolina Carolina I think is a, a three point underdog at home and I'm gonna I'm gonna take Carolina on that. Definitely. I think that's a great game to be interested in as well because, again, you know, given I'm an M- NFC South guy, I don't say God forbid, if the Panthers win that game, which I think they have a good chance yeah. to win that game, all of a sudden the Panthers, you say, well, they just beat the Rams who went to the Super Bowl. Why can't they win the yeah. NFC mm-hmm. South? There's mm-hmm. no reason if they win that game that you don't up their belief. About yeah, and them. I mean, I, I, I'm sure as a Tampa Bay fan, I, I don't need to convince you that is a, that that NFC South is a. Brutal. It's brutal every year, brutal, or at least brutal for the last five years. Brutal division. I'm going to go in a, in a very in a very biased fashion with the Ravens and Dolphins, only because I think the Ravens are one. They're the team I care about the most, but also I think they're one of the most interesting stories. What are we going to see in that offense? How polished will we see Lamar Jackson? Obviously, the Dolphins are an easy test, 
But there is Josh Rosen over there. It poses this other question. Are we going to see continued evolution of Josh Rosen? Is he going to end up being well, the Well, aren't NFL we seeing Fitzmagic? I think we might not see Josh Rosen jo- game Fitz, one. Fitzpatrick, oh. Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick was named the starter. Oh, really? I missed that. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So that that could, I mean, that, that only increases the uncertainty, right? Let me just long. say, by the way, it may not last long, but in any given day, any given Sunday, Fitzmagic could come out. Four touchdowns or four interceptions. You don't know what you're going to get. Flame, he, could fl- <laughs> he could flame the Ravens. That, that's a fascinating game. All right, fellas, that has been another edition of Wharton Moneyball. We do this every Wednesday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. For two hours, we talk sports analytics, some combination. This morning has been the whole crew. Adi was here for the first hour and the whole two hours with Eric Bradlow, Shane Jensen, and Cade Massey. Many thanks to our guests, Josh Hermsmeyer and Aaron Schatz. Many thanks to our sound engineer, Martin Nawaga, and our troubleshooting associate producer, Dion Simpkins, and, of course, boss band, Matty Dats. Come back and join us next week.